Hello, family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. Kids, y'all can go back with Miss Whitney. Thank, I know, I know. Very big day, very big day for me. I'm so proud of myself. Good, good job, Jeremy. Uh, if you have your Bibles and you want to open them up, we're going to be in the book of Exodus. I think I have some pictures of the bait. Connie, were you able to get? Oh, oh, look at him. Oh, oh, he's so cute. Oh, he's the best. Uh, I think... He was here, and then Erica took him somewhere, so I'm trusting that she has him safe and sound, Uh, but he's the best. Uh, It is my last Sunday here at the church, and this is my final sermon here at the church. Uh, My name is Pastor Jeremy Bass. For those of y'all who don't know me, hello and goodbye. Um, I would just like to say a quick word that uh, thank y'all so much. You know, I came in uh, in the middle of COVID. Uh, We went through that together. We went through disaffiliation together, and just thank you so much for being so patient with me and as we grew together and loving me and my family well, and I just pray that uh, as a result of my time here that y'all just love Jesus more than when I got here. Um, And Clint's going to be taking over this service for for those of y'all who don't know, Um, and I'd just like to say a quick word about Clint, that Clint deeply loves this church. He deeply loves y'all, and I think you saw that reflected in the little talk that he just gave. And I know for a fact that y'all are going to be blessed by his ministry here and his service uh, to y'all, and I'm incredibly grateful for him. So I've been thinking about sort of last words to say. Um, I'm throwing the sermon series out the window, uh, going completely different direction. Uh, The Lord put this scripture on my heart just for me to reflect on months ago before I knew I was even leaving, and he told me to just meditate on it and think about it. So I'm going to be sharing with y'all some thoughts that I've had as I've been just kind of meditating on this scripture. Like I said, we're going to be in the book of Exodus, chapter 33, starting in verse 11. Hear the word of the Lord. And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. And Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know where you will send, who you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and and with your people unless you go with us? 
What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And and the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. And then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I will proclaim my name, Yahweh, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, You cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. And then the Lord said, There is this place near me where you may stand on a rock, and when my glory passes by, I will put you, uh, cover you with my hand in the cleft of the rock until I have passed by. And then I will remove my hand, and you will see my back, but my face you must not see. The word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Uh, the context of this passage is it is immediately after the golden calf, uh, the famous golden idolatry incident in the book of Exodus, which is the Lord had rescued his people from bondage and slavery in Egypt, and then they go before the mountain of the Lord to receive the Ten Commandments, and then they have this uh, moment of idolatry right at the foot of the mountain where they erect this golden calf and they begin worshiping it. And Moses is up on the mountaintop getting the Ten Commandments, and he comes down to find that his people, whom God had just done mighty things for, is now worshiping the idol that they had just made. It reminds me of this one office quote, which I can say because it's my last Sunday, (laughs) where Michael Scott says, you cheated on me when I specifically asked you not to. You made an idol out of me when I specifically asked you not to do that. It's just this image of the Lord had told his people, don't do this, and yet the theme throughout Scripture that we see over and over again is that they just do it anyways. And what's interesting is it's it's in this middle of great, great chaos, great disobedience, great conflict, sort of a crisis of faith almost like, that then Moses immediately after this incident retreats back into the presence of God. That's in the moment of chaos, in the moment of a terrible season in Israel's life, that Moses goes right into the presence of God. As it says in verse 11, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one would speak to a friend. It's this image of the Lord coming and speaking to Moses. And I think this text is just such a gift to us as a church And as the people of God, because we get a peek behind the curtain of this intimate relationship between God and Moses. You know, it's not oftentimes that uh, your relationship with the Lord is written down and saved for posterity. But here in the book of Exodus, Moses gives us a glimpse of what his relationship with God is like. And Moses, who is arguably outside of Jesus, one of the greatest people in all of the Bible, who would talk to God as one would talk to a friend. And this text starts off by saying this is how Moses would often interact with the Lord, face to face as one would speak to a friend. You know, as we think about our faith, we think about the way that God wants us to interact with Him and live with Him and just live out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I think fundamentally, fundamentally, Christianity is about friendship with Jesus. Christianity is about friendship with Jesus. Jesus says right before his death on the cross, he tells his disciples, I no longer call you servants, but I call you my friends. 
And look at what Moses says to God, just in the, 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 the context of what he actually says. He says, you have been telling me, lead these people, Moses says, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me, and you have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me, but if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember, this nation is your people. You see sort of Moses just pouring his, ha- his heart out before the Lord, that he is confessing before God his insecurities as a leader. And Lord, you've told me to lead these people, but you haven't told me who's going to go with me. Lord, you need to remember that these people, this, this stubborn people that was just worshiping an idol at the foot of the mountain, that these are your people, Lord. You need to remember that. This raw, honest intimacy with God that he confesses his insecurities, his fears, and he pours out his heart to him and even challenges him like, Lord, if you're going to send us away from this place and you're not going to come with us, don't even do it. Because that's what we need more is your presence in our lives. You see this, this friendship, this real honest relationship that the Lord has with Moses. And the truth of the Christian faith is that because of Jesus Christ, because of the God-man coming into our world and reconciling us to the Father, that he has torn the veil that separates us and God that we can now be like Moses. We can enter into the holy spaces. We can enter into holy places like Moses does here because of what Jesus has done. And Jesus comes and makes it so that any one of us can have this type of relationship with the Lord. In the Old Testament, this sort of intimate type relationship was mainly reserved for uh, just select few people, but because of Christ. Jesus comes and makes that wide open for everyone, that we can enter into this tent of meeting like Moses does. But the truth also is is that we have to be willing to enter into the tent of meeting. We have to be willing and desire this type of relationship with the Lord. And do we really desire this type of relationship with the Lord that we see here in the book of Exodus. You may have some friendships like this. You know, you have your close friends, the ones that you're very intimate and close with, and then you have like your acquaintances that you just kind of always keep at arm's length or that you feel maybe keep you at arm's length, just those people that you hang around with and you can maybe have like some superficial fun around, but there's always a sense that either you're keeping your guard up or they're keeping their guard up. It's this unspoken barrier that you can come this close but no further. And I think that we do that so often with God, that we let him into the spaces of our life that we want him to enter into, but uh, kind of the, the, the real junk in my life, that's just for me and me alone, and that's something you're not supposed to touch, Lord. And what we see in this text is that Moses is before the Lord with unveiled faces, with raw honesty, and just gives everything over to him, his insecurities as a leader, his hopes, his fears, his dreams, and you just see the sweetness of the intimacy and friendship with the living God that Moses has. I mean, look at what the Lord says when Moses confesses his insecurities, fears. The Lord says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. The Lord says to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and because I know you by name. 
When Moses asks the Lord to show him his glory, the Lord says, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you. It's this beautiful image here of what is available to each and every single one of us as a follower of Christ. I remember uh, when I first got here uh, back in 2020, this was in the height of COVID, and usually every year I go to a New Room Conference, which is sort of my uh, spiritual retreat that I go and get rest and uh, rejuvenation. Because it was COVID, they canceled it that year, and they did it kind of a virtually. And I remember they just had one speaker. It was more of like a really long service. And the speaker there was uh, Jim Cimbala, who's the pastor up in Brooklyn Tabernacle, a church in New York City. And he said this line so casually, and it was just kind of a throwaway line, I think, but I think about it, feels like at least once a week. He said this, that there are two kinds of pastors, those who pray and those who don't. And there are just two kinds of churches, those who pray and those who don't. And I would even put it a step further, there are two kinds of Christians, those who pray and those who don't. There are two kinds of Christians, those who want this type of relationship with the Lord and those who don't. There are two types of Christians, those who are inside the tent of meeting, meeting face to face with the living God and those outside refusing to go in. And that's always the invitation before us. That intimacy with the Lord is never a lack of willingness on God's side. It's usually a lack of willingness on our side. The invitation is always before us that we can choose to enter into the tent of meeting with Moses, to meet with God face to face, to meet with the living God face to face. And the reason why we do this, the reason why we seek friendship with the Lord, the reason why we seek friendship with Jesus is because of the very character of God himself. We seek this friendship because of the character of Jesus. Look at what the Lord says to Moses in Verse 18, then Moses says to the Lord, show me your glory. The Lord said, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, Yahweh, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Moses says to the Lord, show me your glory, and the Lord says, here is my glory. I'm going to tell you my name that you will know who I am, you will have relationship with me. I mean, when you think about kids, what is it that you have them call adults? You, you don't have kids call adults by their first name because that's too familiar. You say, this is Mr. So-and-so, or this is Dr. So-and-so, or Pastor So-and-so, that there's a sort of level of distance between uh, a kid and an adult just by saying the name Mr. And God doesn't say, call me Mr. God. He says, call me by my name. Call me Yahweh. Call me by my name. I will make my name known to you in your midst. Not only that, I will make my goodness pass in front of you, and then I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So when Moses goes to the Lord and he says, show me your glory, that this is the glory of God, is his character. John Wesley says this, God's goodness is his glory, and he wills to have us know him by the glory of his mercy more than the glory of his majesty. 
That when we think of the glory of God, we often think of, I think, like a heavenly vision of just bright lights and big angels and loud choirs, and we think that's the real glory of God. But we see here in Scripture that when Moses asked for the glory of God, the Lord says it's about intimacy, goodness, my character, my compassion, my mercy, that that is the glory of God he wants us to see. Not in his enormity, but in his character. And when we look to Jesus, the scripture says that he is the full glory of God. He is the fullness of the character of God who comes to us full of grace and truth, that his goodness, his mercy and compassion, that he is a God that we get to know on a first name basis. When we think about this idea of friendship with God and intimacy with God, we desire that because the one who is inviting us deeper, the one who is inviting us to more is good and can trust, and we can trust him with all that we have. You know, it's like sometimes with our acquaintances, I think the reason we, we put up a lot of these walls in our friendships is because uh, there was a time when one time in our life we didn't have these walls up and we got deeply wounded, deeply hurt, maybe even betrayed by someone you thought you could trust. And so what we do is, out of a reaction, is we put these walls up and we kind of say, never again will I let anyone get close to me so that they can hurt me again. We do this in a way to protect ourselves. The problem is, is I think that we do that sometimes with God. That we say, Lord, I don't want you closer because I'm not sure if I fully trust your character. I'm not fully sure that if I let you closer that you won't hurt me. But I believe the challenge that we see from Scripture is that what the Lord really wants to do is to come close to us to show us his goodness, to show us his mercy, to show us his compassion. That when we ask the Lord to show us his glory that he will do it like he does with Moses. If you're friends with me on Facebook, you've been knowing that I've been posting obnoxiously this past week uh, about the Asbury Revival. Um, for those of you who aren't friends with me, you may have seen it in your own social media circles that there's this, I don't know what you would call it, but it's a, it's a thin place where the Spirit of God has poured himself out in this small college town in a mighty way. For those of y'all who don't know, uh, where I went to seminary, right across the street is Asbury University, and uh, they had a chapel service like they do every Wednesday uh, about a week and a half ago, and it hasn't stopped since last Wednesday. You know, and it's really humbling to see something that you've been praying about for years happen right in front of your eyes. And this chapel started, and it hasn't stopped, and it's just this massive outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's happening in this small college town in the middle of nowhere. Uh, Wilmore, Kentucky is a two-stoplight town with a subway and a, a local Chinese restaurant, and that's it. Uh, it has like maybe 1,500 people, if that. You can walk anywhere in the city. And I was looking at pictures from yesterday that, in the outpouring that's still going on, and there was about 20 to 25,000 people in the small town of Wilmore, Kentucky. In fact, I read this one um, post that said that they had to shut the road off going into Wilmore because the town was just so full of capacity and they couldn't, they couldn't fit anyone into this town anymore. And what's happening at Asbury is just basically the Lord has made himself just known in this space. I just want to share a few testimonies because I think this is really what the meat of our faith is about. This is really 
what we should be desiring in our own midst here in Kingwood, in our own lives and every day. There's this one student that talked about the beginnings of the awakening or the beginnings of the revival because it just started off with about 20 college students who stayed after chapel one Wednesday afternoon. And they were just in that chapel praying and worshiping and one of those original 20 students said, that the shift in the room happened when kind of the, you could tangibly sense that the Spirit of the Lord had poured himself out mightily was one student got up and confessed and shared a testimony about how three to four years beforehand he had tried to take his own life and how the Lord had rescued him from that and how he is still alive today by the grace of God. And she said that moment of openness and honesty and confession and testimony is when the revival truly started, she said. It's when you let your guard down and you see the glory of the Lord enter into the midst of our lives. There's this other testimony from a pastor friend of mine, uh, Andrew Thompson, who's a pastor at First Methodist Tulsa. And he wrote this. He went over to Asbury for the day and he wrote about his experience on Facebook and he said this, All I can say about the experience I had is that the manifest presence of the Lord is there. It is thick and substantial, and it is full of love. It is as if the Lord has set up his tabernacle right in that very room. He said, the Holy Spirit hovered over me like a blanket, and he began to flush out all of the pain and fatigue and spiritual weariness I was feeling I went down to the altar rail to pray, and an otherworldly peace came upon me, such as I have only known once in my life. I felt two hands on my shoulders, and a voice began to pray over me, Lord, walk with this man in his life. Let him know your presence and fill him with your Holy Spirit. When I later stood up, the two college students who had been praying for me were, there, were then at the altar praying for themselves. He said, God is using his people to minister to one another in very humble but bold ways. He said, the work of prayer and praise that is going on in this place is just remarkable. At one point, all I could think or just say was, he is so beautiful. He is so good to us. And as the tears kept coming, they were all tears of joy. And I prayed for the full surrender of God to my, of surrender to God in my life. And I asked him to take away any residual fear I felt and that his presence was just so close to me and so intimate. He was being so gentle with all of us and the experience of peace and humility was so powerful. There have been a very few times in my life when I've experienced the grace of God in such a way that it, it seems as if that I'm walking in an entirely new country. That sense was manifest moment by moment yesterday. And then you like how he ended with this. He said, I eventually went up and left. And I was able to do so because I have this firm conviction in my heart that God will make his presence known where he is welcome. Friends, I firmly believe that. Are we truly welcoming the presence of God like that? Do we truly desire the glory of the Lord to come into our midst? Because what it's going to require for us to do is to unveil our faces, to be honest with ourselves before one another and before God. That if we want the Lord to meet us in our pain and our brokenness, we have to be willing to share our pain and our brokenness. 
This is what Moses experienced on the foot of Mount Sinai. This is what the people at Asbury are experiencing. Friends, I firmly believe that this is what God wants for us to experience as well. And when we encounter Jesus like this, when we spend time with him, when we dwell in his presence, when we enter into real friendship with the living God, we become like Jesus. When we do this, we become like Jesus. In the chapter after this in the book of Exodus, Exodus 34, starting in verse 29, it says this, And then when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant of law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses and his face was radiant, they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back and spoke to him, and afterward all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given to him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered into the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant, and then Moses would put the veil back on until he went to speak to the Lord. That when Moses spent time with the Lord, the Scripture tells us that his face was literally radiating the light of God. That when we spend time with Jesus, when we spend time with the Lord, we can't help but become more like him. That as Moses dwelt with God, his face changed. As John Wesley put it, that his countenance became his credentials. That the way that he lived his life, that his very face reflected the glory of the living God. And the Apostle Paul, reflecting on this passage in 2 Corinthians, he writes this in 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. He says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And as we contemplate the glory of the Lord, that we become transformed into His image, transformed into His likeness. And some of y'all are parents or, I mean, we all have parents, uh, but some of y'all are parents, and uh, you may have told your kids, or if growing up, you may have heard your parents say, uh, be careful who you hang around, or you may have had that one troubled friend growing up, and your parents would always say, you know, I don't like you hanging around Johnny. Johnny's not a good influence on you. And the reason they would tell us that is because there's a truth behind it that we become who we're like. We become who we hang around. We become like who we hang around. Erica, uh, when we were in Kentucky, she worked at an optometrist's office, and her boss would always end conversations by just saying, good, good, good. Just every interaction always ended by saying, good, good, good. Um, And so guess which mannerism Erica picked up after working with this man for three years. And so now she'll just sometimes randomly end interactions being like, okay, good, good, good. Time to move on. And it's just this truth that when we hang around people and when we're with them that we pick up their mannerisms. When we're with our spouse for a while, we pick up their, their quirks and intricacies. When we're with our friends, we pick up their phrases and their sayings. And friends, when we're with Jesus, we become more like him. 
Friends, I think the reason the church doesn't really look a lot like Jesus is because the church doesn't want to spend time with Jesus. I think if we truly want to be the church that God is calling for us to be, a church that worships passionately, loves extravagantly, and witnesses boldly, we have to be a church, first and foremost, that loves Jesus. Uh, Dr. Siemens, one of my professors at seminary who's up there in the middle of the revival right now, I was watching an interview by him, and he said, it's time for the church to fall in love with the Lord of the church again. Friends, that is the call of God to each and every single one of us here, to dwell with him, to fall in love with him, to become more like him, to be transformed into his image. As the band comes back up, I love what Paul says. I mean, Paul's literally doing exegesis on this uh, passage in Exodus. He says, we who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, we who with unveiled faces contemplate the name of God, the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the compassion of God, we contemplate that glory of the Lord, we become more like him. We become more good, more merciful, and more compassionate. I want to close with just saying this. You know, Jim Cimbala said there are two types of churches, two types of pastors, those who pray and those who don't. I would also like to add this. There are two kinds of churches and two kinds of people. Those whose faces radiate the glory of God and those who ask for those faces to be veiled because they're afraid. Friends, look at yourself and examine your own life and ask, which one are you? Because that's always the choice before us. Will we be the people who demand that Moses veil his face in our presence because we don't like what the glory of the Lord illuminates within our own life, within our own soul, or exposes something we don't want to deal with? Or will we choose to radiate the glory of God because we have contemplated the very beautiful face of God that we can look to Jesus and say, he will transform me into his likeness and into his image. Look to Jesus, friends, and experience what the students at Asbury are experiencing. Because this is available to every single one of us. Because the veil is torn, the King is here, and the Spirit is among us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.